What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The wait or the waiting room? You're next, sir, becomes a cruel taunt to you. Recycled there, the smell of sleep and disinfectant. Your pod is a three-man Columbia House Party episode. Jake, what's up? <laughs> I like that one. That yeah, was really good. Bad. No, yeah, that, that was, was great. a hard one. The degree that was of difficulty on that one through the roof. That was a good one. I like how you brought in like teasing a guest and mm-hmm. that was that was very clever. Some weeks I got it. Some weeks I don't. You've got this down and I still don't know what uh, episode this is. How you doing, man? Other than never knowing what episode it is. I'm good. I just ate a giant bowl of ramen. So I'm feeling feeling full and energized and ready to ready to go. Which direction did we go with the ramen? We talking spicy ramen? We talking black garlic ramen? What, what? Uh, yes, but actually I tried. A, it was a tan tan men, which I never had before, which I guess was more of like a wasn't really it was like a closer to a curry i guess but it had like soupy tendency but it was very good i enjoyed it immensely tan tan man i'm looking out at the beach right now i see some of those so there you go <laughs> oh that's right be. yeah You're, i'm uh, recording from a from a secret location i love I'm it looking out at lake erie right now drinking a beer it's nice that sounds like a really nice day got to go run by the water today put my feet in the in the lake uh listen to today's album which is a top tier stare at the lake album yeah which i mean they all are they're all top tier every album's a stare at the lake album if you if you have a certain personality type but this one's right up there <laughs> we could have called this show stare at the lake party i think and yeah miss no- miss nothing all right um we are going to bring on a fellow lake starer in a little bit uh, if you were listening to this this is episode 38 of columbia house party thank you for continuing or welcome if you're new uh if you are so inclined patreon.com slash columbia house party to support us there access to the discord chat where there's always a lot of good music being shared and music stories uh, and things like that failing that please rate subscribe all that good stuff jake who do you got for us so today we're talking about a band that i would say are very popular uh, for reasons that I don't necessarily understand, which has nothing to do with their talent or ability. Uh, they're a band that I never super got into uh, and still I'm not like I, I'm more into them now than I was whenever I, they were sort of 
in and around their prime, but uh, a band that I always sort of were, they, I was always less into them than everyone around me at times. And they sort of feel like a band that I missed in a lot of ways where I have a lot of friends who are super into this band and they talk about, you know, their high school experiences, university experiences being super into this band. And I don't really have that, but uh, I'm okay with that. And I'm glad to be sort of able to look back on them with a more objective, self-critical lens, because I do find them super interesting, especially in like the context of the scene and everything. So this album is an album that I think if you were to ask me what album from this band we do, this wouldn't have been the one I expected. So today we are talking about Canadian sensation Alexis on Fire's second album, Watch Out. to help us talk about one of Canada's preeminent punk bands or e- however you want to classify them, we bring in one of Canada's preeminent music voices, lead guitarist for our new indie band, Skip This Wizard, Sam Sutherland. <laughs> Sam, what's up, man? Well, I'm, I'm glad that you took an opportunity early in the pod to promote Skip This Wizard. I don't think we should explain that any further, but um, you know, there, there's, there's a wizard in all of us. Um, so so there's some irony in the in the sort of implication that you should skip it. In fact, do not skip the wizard. Uh, but it's a little bit of a play on, um, you know, your notion of, of magic. So happy to be here. Happy to talk about Staring at Lakes. Happy to talk about maybe not the right Alexis on Fire record, uh, which which we will, I'm sure, get into. I didn't mean it in a bad way. I was just surprised. Here's the thing with co-hosting a podcast with Jake and bringing guests on is is Jake has the contrary opinion on a lot of things. And it's the, oh, I would have picked a different album from this band comes up fairly often. So don't don't feel too badly about it. I didn't mean it like that. I just was surprised. 
I'm just surprised that someone who has taste as good as Sam likes the bad Alexis on Fire album. <laughs> I'm not saying Goldsby. it's bad. This That's is, what I heard. This is a pylon, <laughs> and I don't have time for this. You invite you guys, me into your home, and then you insult me. I should I should consider leaving, but I won't because I'm desperate for attention <laughs> and human contact during coronavirus. Why don't you guys do the show, then? Yeah, this I'll have to do. Um, so if anyone doesn't know Sam, uh, you can give him a follow at... Uh, Sam Sutherland on Twitter, but all the vowels are taken out of Sutherland. Uh, his Twitter, but and not Sam. W- <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what? why I did that? Yeah, no, I just mean like it's yeah. Sam S A M, and then it's Sutherland. It's, it's illogical, yeah. but I don't know. All those bands were really big at the time. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's fine. You're easy enough to find, but we'll also Thank include uh, the the relevant links in the uh, the write up of this podcast. Uh, you might know Sam from Junior Battles. This exists. Uh, he's an executive producer at Universal Music Canada, uh, but you probably know him best if you listen to this podcast as the co-host of what I guess could be considered our cousin podcast, since Jake and I have uh, both made appearances in the past, Blink-155, where uh, Sam goes through uh, every Blink-182 song uh, with a co-host and with guests. Uh, it's a really fun podcast. Go back and listen to uh, the episodes Jake and I were on. I did Roller Coaster. Jake, did you do Princess Leia? Yeah, I did A New Hope. Right. That's what it's called, not Princess Leia. <laughs> I mean, I feel it's like a, it's, it's, a hook, it's a only one. Yeah, it's the one. Yeah, no one, no one would wonder what you were talking about. But I actually, I forgot the episode you were on, Blake, because obviously the impetus for having you on was to talk about the Raptors championship run. So in addition to uh, Blink-155, you guys also did this awesome thing, uh, raised $5,000 for Black Lives Matter charities uh, by having a bunch of listeners and artists you're friends with cover Hinder's Lips of an Angel through like a Blink-182-ish <laughs> lens. It was fucking hilarious, man. Like Insane. I can't say I listened to every one of those songs, but I listened to more of them than I would have thought. Uh, shout out to Hinder. Yeah, yeah, it turns out Hinder rocks. We we started doing these these uh, Saturday night quarantine live streams, basically like the first weekend that we all got stuck inside. And um, and it was just sort of us watching various kind of pop punk documentaries that exist on YouTube, which means they're absolutely the trashiest films imaginable. And and at some point, there are these like little rituals that emerged. And one of them was listening to the song Lips of an Angel by Hinder. And then one weekend, a couple of people that watched the stream just covered it at random. And then the next weekend, it, there was community spread. Or I guess, you know, the, the people who listen to Blink 155, is the, it's the nation. And so it was like nation spread. And so we ended up at one point on one Saturday, we had 20 plus Hinder covers. And some of these were like, upwards of 25 minutes, I think was the longest cover. And that was like this weird power electronics cover, I think, but like, you know, neoclassical ska, like, you know, New York kind of esoteric, hardcore beatdown shit. I mean, it was every, everything at once. And yeah, we managed to raise in the end between the live stream. And then we put the comp up on Bandcamp. We're over $7,000 right now to oh, Black wow. Lives Matter Toronto wow. from a Blink-182 podcast and covers of Lips of an Angel by Hinder, which I think is uh, something to be proud of, to be able to turn dumb shit into good shit. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. That's 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 how we're going to measure ourselves is at, it, once we're big enough to turn this dumb shit into, you know, we sold some T-shirts for kids help phone and donated yeah, a couple yeah. hundred bucks, but not not seven thousand for for BLM Toronto. Um, so that's great. Also, just as a heads up to everyone, uh, we know that the art on this episode and the title both say Alexis on fire. Uh, strap in because the next 45 minutes are about hinders lips of an angel. <laughs> this is just Sorry, the Jake. energy that I bring to every interview that I do now. Before we get too deep into the the album itself, uh, Sam, why why this one? You gave us a couple options of albums you, you'd want to do when you came on. Why watch out from Alexis on Fire? 
Well, I really wanted to use this this sort of very cool platform that that you built here to talk about what was sort of happening in Southern Ontario in, in the aughts, because I think there was like really exciting, really innovative, really meaningful, very impactful music that had, you know, an audience around the globe, but I don't know gets the same like reverential retrospective treatment as a lot of the classic albums from that era that are like American or or, or British typically. And so uh, this was one of like three or four, I think I threw out. And the reason that I wanted to do Watch Out over, I assume, Jake, the obvious choice to you was probably Crisis. Hmm? Yes, which right? I which I want to stress, I don't even like that much. I just no, but it is the bigger record. I totally get it. To me, this was the record that proved that the fluky success of the first album was not in fact a fluke at all. But it was so bizarre to have this screamo band, like Orchid style, like Seisha, you know, Page 99, City of Caterpillar, full on underground sounding screamo band be as gargantuan as they were with pulmonary archery. And so what happened for, with Watch Out to me, and I think really for like a lot of their audience was that they sort of cemented where they were and built on it. And so while Crisis, and this could be anywhere in the world, are maybe the like full on gigantic singles, this is the record for me that established sort of who this band really was and cemented that they were in Southern Ontario, kind of the pace car. And so it as a result, to me, is the most interesting of the records, even though it's also not even my personal favorite. I'm glad you brought up the sort of oddness in how successful this band became, despite their sound, because that is I know we'll get into it in a bit. But that is sort of the my thesis statement for today. I suppose mm. my thesis, my thesis question, I should say for today. So I'm glad I'm glad you're coming at it from a similar place. It's a it's a it's a really reasonable question, because what the fuck? Like right? this band was not like after midnight popular on much. I mean, this was pulmonary archery was a much music hit and they played the shit out of it on the edge. And, and I assume it was sort of similar coast to coast with other sort of modern rock radio stations. And it would have been very, very easy for that to just die down because sort of right after this record, there were a bunch of other bands that were also sort of Southern Ontario punk bands that put out records in this valley for what sort of mainstream Canadian rock was doing at that time. So there was this, this moment where there was no new Nickelback record. There was no new default record. There was no new Tragically Hip record. And into that gap went Hostage Life, St. Alvia Cartel, all of these sort of <laughs> strange <laughs> bands. But do you remember they used to play Hostage Life and St. Alvia, like a, like a band comprised of just like dudes who'd been kicking around the 905 scene for a decade. They were playing that every hour on the edge. I mean, that was like a full on radio hit. Blake and I have kind of a running joke about the band Tiny Moving Parts, about how we've seen them open for every band in the world and <laughs> yeah. never seen them headline. And St. Alvia Cartel was that for me like 12 years ago. Yeah, like completely. I, I saw them so many times because they were always the opening band. Yeah, because everyone loved them. I mean, they are like two of one, the nicest guys on the planet. You know, the record, that record in particular, like it was good. That the Don't Want to Wait Forever was like the hit. And so 
all those bands kind of got a shot in the same way that Alexis got a shot, but none of it stuck. Like, it's not like The Edge kept playing Hostage Life. They weren't like, oh, Maryland's Vitamins. I remember them. They were a sick anarcho-punk band. You know, they kind of came out of the Who's Emma scene in Kensington Market. That's tight. Uh, let's keep doing that. But that all went away the minute that the established kind of can rock royalty started releasing albums again. But Alexis just permanently etched themselves into this upper echelon of, you know, initially kind of, you know, Canadian just sort of rock stardom, but then also, you know, in Australia and in the UK sort of achieved that same stature. And I think that really happens on Watch Out. Watch Out is the reason that that is is still true today. Watch Out, such a successful follow-up to the self-titled that not even Nickelback's new album could kill Alexis on Fire's momentum. We're going to talk <laughs> about Watch Out in a lot more detail after this. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. A brief little history of Lexus on Fire before Watch Out. They were formed in late 2001. In the aftermath of a three-band breakup, George Pettit, the vocalist, played in a metal band called Condemning Salem. Dallas Green was singing and playing guitar in Helicon Blue, or Hellison Blue, unsure. Wade McNeil and Chris Seal were playing in a punk band called Plan 9. Uh, and when these bands broke up, they all kind of came together to form Alexis on Fire. Uh, Wade McNeil, in a 2010 iTunes Originals interview, said that George was a little hesitant to be the singer as he said i don't know how to sing and wade replied to him you don't have to which i think says a lot about how this band was formed and sounds they recruited drummer jesse ingelovich and formed the band they were named after alexis fire the world's only lactating contortionist stripper uh, she actually threatened to sue the band when she found out they were using her website name as the band name but the moniker was not registered or copyrighted so the suit just kind of died down their first release. All right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> their first release was in 2002. Uh, it was called the Math Sheet Demos EP because it was wrapped in their drummer's math homework. Wade McNeil told in the 2013 box set they released in an interview, Wade said, everything we did in those days was really sped up. Like we wanted to book those first shows immediately. We wanted to get in the studio right away, which they did and reviewed their aforementioned self-titled LP in 2002. In Exclaim's review, it was noted that the band is deserving of all the praise they have received in the underground scene and that they may just be able to save Canadian hardcore, which I guess they kind of did. 
in a way. Ooh, yeah. Ooh. For me, it was more about the fact that they got successful. It was like we've talked with some of the more like pop punkier bands, how like, you know, like music for me with my friends in high school is like I had my own music thing going on. And then Alexis on Fire got so big that it was like, fuck you. You have to listen to what I'm listening to now. They're everywhere. Right. <laughs> Wade McNeil told Exclaim in 2019 that early 2000s Screamo really connected with me from an art and lyrical standpoint. It was pushing things a little bit more. George Pettit said that his music stemmed from uh, growing up in the Southern Ontario region. He told NiagaraThisWeek.com in 2010 uh, that he hung out and mostly got his music taste in Hamilton and St. Catharines. said both cities had really vibrant music communities. I never really went to large concerts as a kid. Uh, and Wade told exclaimed that I'd nod at George because he was the guy in the leather jacket with the dead Kennedys patch. There wasn't a lot of weirdos in the small town we grew up in. Uh, and I know, Sam, I'm not sure where you are from, but Blake, I know you're a small town Southern Ontario guy. So this seems like it lines up with sort of how these things form and people connect there. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't uh, I wasn't in a band, but it's it sure lines up with, you know, at least like you know, the shows that I was going to in Kitchener and Guelph around the time, it's like every band that was like played up the headliner status. It's like, oh, maybe this can be the path for them. So, you know, I never saw Alexis on Fire in any of those venues, but like that was kind of what everyone, you know, that was like your ideal, but everything breaks right scenario. Right. What about for you, Sam? I mean, I'm from I'm from Etobicoke and I will tell anyone who will listen that technically it's part of Toronto and that we had four subway stops, <laughs> especially, you know, friends of mine who are like, you're from Mississauga. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm a 416 <laughs> phone number. And I took a bus from Kipling Station. So that sounds awfully like Toronto to me. But, you know, I mean, I think there's there's a universality to that experience of, you know, looking for someone who potentially shares your interests. And, and it's it, it's uh, it's it also feels like this very like romantic and outdated notion at this point now, because I think kids to their benefit are able to sort of find their 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 group and, and sort of people who like the same things as, uh, as they do much more easily on the internet. Whereas then it was like you had to get someone to drive you to a show to eyeball someone who had a patch of a band that you liked. <laughs> and then like the seventh time you saw them come up with the courage, not through drinking because you didn't drink at that time, to like strike up a conversation with them. I mean, it's very, I, I think, unique kind of to our generation, to the experience of sort of being into these, you know, more niche Subcultures. I sort of had the experience, but I grew up downtown. So like you did see the same. You grew people up in real Toronto. Say what you mean. Yeah, Dave. it's true. I did. I did grow up in real Toronto. But OK, like, you'd OK, I, I can hear the <laughs> attitude. You're saying you're saying that Etobicoke is not Toronto. That's fine. I don't mind. I mean, I it's mind not. Up. It's not. It was just turned into Toronto because of fucking Mel Lastman. It's but. true. Yeah. Mike, Mike Harris, amalgamation. God bless it. Where did you grow up? Like how downtown kids? Because I went to uh, a school that had like some kids from downtown and everyone who lived at like Bathurst Station, like their parents were like an artist, you know, like a painter and a playwright. And they were just like impossibly cool. And they all smoked cigarettes when they were 13. Was that you? No, I was. (laughs) There is documented proof that I was not one of the cool kids when I was younger, but, uh, I grew up, I'm a Danforth kid. So I grew up like Broadview. I grew up Broadview area. So that's a great type of kid to be. It it was great for all of the many, many, many shows I went to at the opera house. That was sort of the Danforth music hall. Wasn't really a thing yet. It was a movie theater back then. It was a movie theater back then. I was like, I grew up like across the street from it. 
It's such but, a great uh, area. I, I have such fond memories of taking the subway out to Broadview Station and like sitting like on the platform, just, you know, being shitheady teenagers waiting for the streetcar <laughs> to go down to Queen to go to the Opera House and see a Jello Biafra spoken word performance. <laughs> <laughs> which I had to leave because it went on for five hours. <laughs> That's the cool kids. I was the guy who did the same thing, but went to go see like real big fish and Goldfinger. So, oh yeah, but that, uh, like don't be wrong. I also went to those shows. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't actually. I, mean, I cool. had to drive in from out of town to see Hoobastank, so I don't know where that ranks. Oh among the yeah, kids, but That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, Huba, baby. that was my first opera house experience. Hoobastank and Cauterize, who are like an Oshawa pop punk. Yeah, band. Cauterize used to be Toe. Wait, really? Yeah, take off, eh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Huh. I don't think I knew that. But Cauterize is another one of those bands that seemed poised to kind of do something bigger. I can't remember what, who put out the, their one, the, the almost big record. Were they on Victory or am I totally mixing things up in my head? That album was released by Wind Up. That was it, right? It was the same label as Finger Eleven. And it was like, <laughs> oh, maybe big things are going to happen for this band. Like the like the Rainbow Butt Monkeys. Oh man! <laughs> yeah, you know it's like no one no one wants to talk about Rainbow Butt Monkeys when they talk about the nine oh five scene, but Burlington's you know Burlington's best boys really. This is really <laughs> turning into a let's remember some guys Canadian punk rock edition. This is uh, my favorite type of conversation that we're having right now. <laughs> let's remember some openers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Really. <laughs> openers is a good like that's a good idea for a podcast. No, I understand that that's not what you're trying to do here, and I don't want to turn your podcast into openers. But like, think about that. That's a cool idea. That's your next one. That's no. Your, I'm uh, gonna walk into a lake. I think is how I'm gonna <laughs> finish Blink One Fifty Five. Thanks. That's fair. I think yeah. All right, Jake, get us back. Get us back on track here. We got to talk. At some point, we have to talk about I was like, this is feeling out. a lot like Blink-155 here. I was like, we can just talk about whatever we want. I felt like I was going <laughs> to, you know, have to have a much more focused conversation, but I'm ready to talk about anything. So let's go. <laughs> Perfect. Um, the self-titled album of Alexis on Fire, who is the band we're talking about, went gold in Canada in 2005. Uh, this was on the back of, as we were talking about earlier, specifically pulmonary archery, but also counterparts and named them. And Water Wings drew significant airplay on much music. Water Wings was how I became aware of this band because that video is so fucking weird. Uh, and even so though, good. Even though I thought the song had, quote, too much screaming for my mm. tastes, the video always sort of, even when it, every time it was on, I'd have to watch the video because it's so weird and so cool and just odd. And anyway, this is what Water Wings sounds like. Yeah. 
Wade McNeil told Exclaim that the idea of us making a music video seemed hilarious. Like, why would a band do such a thing, especially a band that sounds like us? But I'm glad we did. George Pettit told the aforementioned NiagaraThisWeek.com in 2009. My favorite music website. The best. That I've definitely heard <laughs> yeah. of. Yeah, for sure. He said, much music taking a shining to us. I think obviously that took us to another level. People were seeing us not just from playing shows. You could go to a place where you'd never been before and people would know who you were. And so I know we've digressed a little bit so far. I want to digress one more <laughs> time. I'm sorry, Blake. But for me. No, it's fine. I'm just I'm going to tell you right now. It's not going to be the last time we digress. <laughs> for me, this video and this song specifically was how I became aware of this band because it got like weekly airplay on the punk show, which mm. for those of you who don't know, the punk show was at 11 PM on Friday night on much music hosted by George Strombolopoulos. And for, I think I can safely say that this podcast and my music taste would not exist without the punk show. And I am curious as to that, if that was a like a, a just me thing or if like, cause we much music itself obviously gets so much credit for justifiably. So for breaking so many Canadian bands, especially around this time. But I feel like because it was a little less mainstream, the puncture doesn't get brought up as much or as much as it should. And it sort of gets lumped in with much loud a little bit, but I feel like the punk show was just so important in Canadian punk and doesn't really get the credit it deserves. I think George in general, look, George gets a lot of credit because there are two famous people in Canada and he's one of them. So <laughs> on one hand, I don't think that like George Strombolopoulos is, is waiting for someone to come along and say like, hey, you're actually quite good at your job. Because again, anytime someone can think of a host in Canada, it's like he is, he's one of two people who's capable of doing it. And then, and for good reason. But I think for me, it was less about that show specifically. I don't really remember watching it a lot and watch music. What, what I do remember is when he was just like a regular VJ hosting on much that he would always wear local band shirts. It was such an impactful, subtle way of promoting what at the time were often super underground bands. Like he was always wearing protest the hero shirts. And that was like this, this band of literal 16 year olds from like Whitby or Ajax or wherever they're from. And, and he would wear their shirts constantly. And this was at, an, at a time when everyone, like you got him from school, you watch much music, you'd hang out with your friends on the weekend, you'd watch much music. And he was indisputably the coolest guy. And he was basically co-signing all of these punk bands. And more so than the much version, it was the show that he got to do on The Edge, which was then taken over mm. by uh, by JD and by Barry Taylor, who sort of carried on that legacy, I think, really effectively, where it was when, when CFNY had this sort of open studio facing onto Young Street, sort of at the ass end of the Eaton Center. And he would go in there and do the, the punk show. I guess it was like Thursday nights, right, from like 11 till 1 a.m. I don't really remember the specifics of it, but in addition to sort of playing whatever he, he wanted, which is baffling to think about now in this era of like incredibly corporatized radio playlists, uh, you could show up with your demo and he would play it. I think of like, you know, my, my brother-in-law was in this like, just like janky, fun, like, 
you know, hardcore punk band and they'd show up and like bang on the window and like he'd invite them in and you could hang out and he would play your song on the edge. And, it, and <laughs> it, it wasn't just like a passing thing for him because what happened was years later, the drummer in that band um, is like Basha Bulat, like the the sort of like indie kind of harpy songwriter who's, you know, a, a big deal. She did an episode of his CBC Radio 2 show like two years ago and they played that band and he like remembered playing them on the punk show. So he was like very much opened up what felt like this sort of impenetrable sort of media wall. And I think that really continued on much music. And I think it was really about sort of saying to kids in this city and hopefully kind of kids across the country that like the bar was not that high. And so in addition to, you know, it sounds like really kind of shaping some people's sort of tastes and sort of exposing to these new bands. I think it also like served to really reinforce like a punk mindset that like he wasn't unattainable. He was literally, you could go and bang on the window and he was there and he'd play your demo on like, this wasn't CKLN. Like this was like the fucking radio. Um, and, and that, <laughs> and that he used it. He consistently used his platform to support again, like local bands, young bands, emerging bands. Like it wasn't just about him putting on a black flag shirt. So like you knew that he was cool. It was, it was about him, you know, really basically like advertising these bands to an audience that might go and check them out on probably MySpace at that time. And I think that like he gets a lot of credit, but that's something that I, I agree with you, Jake. I don't think like on the whole as part of his career, that's something people talk about enough. I will also just say uh, still a good guy. I watched the Raptors championship parade with him. We were both in like the radio area uh, before everything went wild. And yeah, very nice guy. Yeah, I've never heard a never heard a bad word about him, really. Consummate good dude. Consummate good dude. You know, and not like so many CBC personality types are like truly vacuous talking heads. Like anytime I've had to work with like, not anytime, there are notable exceptions, but like a lot of CBC personalities are only good if they have 10 people doing the researching and the writing for them. That guy like absolutely knows his shit. He's not pretending. He cares deeply about the music that he talks about. And it's, it's honestly like refreshing the more you get to know how many other people like don't really treat their jobs that way and don't have that passion. Well, that certainly answered my question. I love that. That's great. <laughs> Back to Alexis on Fire. Uh, they started gaining attention from major labels due to the success of their debut, but decided to remain with Distort Entertainment for artistic reasons, as they said. They went in to record Watch Out, which was recorded with Julius Buddy, who also has produced bands like Protest the Hero and also does a lot of City and Colors stuff. Uh, they recorded near Hamilton. Wade McNeil has said that he became a sixth member of the band. Uh, George Pettit told Exclaim that in the recording of Watch Out, they were a little unsure about whether or not he would stay in the band. This sort of gives me shades of fucked up like nine years ago. <laughs> Pettit said there was a time when my presence was a bit of a question mark whether I was going to continue to be in the band due to the production and the songs of Watch Out scaling back his screaming and upping Dallas Green's contributions. Uh, this album, lyrically, is kind of all over the place. There's songs about the girl Linda Blair played in The Exorcist, songs about go-karting, there's songs about cocaine, and there are multiple songs inspired by short stories by Kurt Vonnegut. One of those songs is this song, which closes the album and has been played at, I think, almost every Alexis show since then, and that is Happiness by the Kilowatt.
Vonnegut short story is the Ufio question. Um, oh. That song rules. And I recently worked in the Ufio question and that song into an article. And I was very proud of myself. Pat myself <laughs> on the back. Good According for you. to That was great. Jake, it was, this, it was the same article where I did Grand Theft Alston and you got really mad. <laughs> uh, Dallas Green has said that Happiness by the Kilowatt is his favorite Alexis on Fire song. And I am surprised to know that he actually has one, but we'll get into that in a bit. Uh, according... <laughs> According to Setlist FM, which of course is a completely accurate picture, uh, mm -hmm. it is the seventh most played live song in Alexis on Fire's discography. It was nominated for the best independent video at the MMVAs and lost to the band Pilot. I don't know if you remember Pilot, but no. I think that's P-I-L-A-T-E. I can't remember the name of their single. I know The Edge played it a bunch. Uh, oh, so here here I was thinking oh. pilot of a plane, and they're like, no, no, we're just descendants of Pontius Pilate, that asshole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to remember the name of their single. They've apparently changed their name to Pilot Speed. I don't know if that helps. No, that doesn't help. That doesn't help at all. <laughs> they would win the Video Fact Award that year for Counterparts Number Them, and the next year they would win Best Independent Video at the MMVAs for Accidents, so it all worked out, and Pilot still exists. Good for them. Keep on keeping on. Sometimes yeah. when people have those conversations, I know that like on a much lower scale, occasionally someone goes like, oh, Junior Battles, they, I wonder if they're still a band. And so every time I do that, I think of like <laughs> someone... Like thinking, thinking that every like two years about about me. And so I, I try not to be quite as rude about it. The success of Watch Out allowed the band to tour Europe for the first time. Uh, Wade McNeil told Exclaim, he said, we went there not knowing if our record was out, if anyone cared about us. And we got there and our tour was sold out. He said that was the beginning of us not touring the States for a while and going. There's a lot of other places to play in the world. We don't need to play in New York so many times which I knew they were big in Europe. I don't think I knew they were like the album came out and were sold out big in Europe. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't fully understand, you know, and if you look at the, the sort of final show dates when they kind of broke up for, for the first time for the, the time that they broke up um, and then same thing, like any of the kind of reunion festival shows they've been doing since like, you know, it, that's a band and maybe I'm jumping ahead here, but since you mentioned it, it's like they don't have to play New York that much. They like never got big or really big in the States the way that they did here, the way that they did in Europe, in particular the UK and in Australia, like kind of inexplicably. 
Yeah, I had so my NBA editor uh, at the Athletic, like not my editor here in Toronto, but our head NBA guy is a guy named Sergio who has like a ton of um, music overlap taste with with me. And like in the playoffs, I did a song of the game for each playoff game in my like morning after like stats Mm -hmm. breakdown and stuff. Uh, And one of them, Sergio edited and he was like, how have I never heard of Alexis on fire before? And I was like, wait a second. Like we have like we had talked before. There was so much musical overlap. And like even to this day, and I think he's Florida based. He had just like Alexis just hadn't got on his radar and he loves them now. And and he was like, give me some Mm -hmm. more Canadian bands. And I threw a couple more at him and he was like, I hadn't heard of them either. Like, I think Billy Talent was the only one roughly in that time and genre that he'd heard of. Uh, So for whatever reason, it just like at least in that part of the U.S., uh, or with, you know, the timing, Sergio is roughly my age. So, um, you know, around the time that they were getting huge here, I uh, just didn't connect there for whatever reason. I think a thing, a thing I've realized in my life is that not for like, obviously major, major acts, like not for something like Alanis, but for bands that are sort of in the Alexis sphere, I have no idea about their success or lack thereof outside of Canada. Like, I feel like such a bubble with bands like that that are huge here. And then you go. Yeah, I mean, like Bare Naked Ladies are right. another example where until Yitzpin, they were like nothing in the U.S. And then it was like, oh, now you're going to be on every soundtrack because you've got Yitzpin. But like, yeah, they were like one of the biggest bands in Canada. And no one knew who they were. You know, I, I think. Something you said earlier, you know, Jake, when you were outlining sort of what are the songs about on this record, though, to me really speaks to why this this band kind of struggled a little bit in the States, which is and this is a way of complimenting my own tastes or like our tastes or the <laughs> tastes of Canadians generally. But I just kind of think they were too good and too smart. I remember mm. seeing this band play Warp Tour, you know, at one point when I was writing for Exclaim, I was I was down uh, on a junket like in California. And so we did like a couple of dates and then they were, Alexis was playing those shows and they were playing like the tiny bullshit stage for no one. And this was, this was in an era probably around crisis where they were fucking massive here. And if you look at the bands that they got sort of paired with, that they would tour with, um, that, that they would sort of get, you know, recommended if you like kind of comparisons to were all bands that sang almost exclusively about relationships. And it was guys singing about girls. Sometimes it was violent, uh, you know, but it was very much focused on sort of romance and heartbreak. And it was sort of I, me, sent, I, me, you kind of centered. And here was a band that was like, y'all like oblique references to Macbeth and also <laughs> Screamo. So who is this? Four and and as a result, I think they got shut out of a lot of big American coverage. I remember having a conversation with Wade at one point, maybe around Old Crow's Young Cardinals, and we were talking about sort of alternative press, which was really like the de facto kind of Bible of that scene at that time. I mean, it had tremendous amount of power for a, for 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 many many years, and Alexis got. Absolutely no love from that magazine. I think the only person that wrote about Alexis for AP was me, and it was on the Dog's Blood EP, and I gave it like a middling kind of review. And, <laughs> and so how it's were your they fault. supposed to- I did it. Like, how were they supposed to kind of compete? I didn't really, I, I gave, I, I sort of shat on the artwork for it, which is stupid because it's Paul Jackson and his art is great. But like, 
how does this band compete with a day to remember or like Parkway Drive or any one of these fucking bands that are doing kind of like a similar thing, but if in my opinion, musically really dumbed down and then like lyrically just like so much more directly articulating the kind of concerns of what they perceive their audience to be. Yeah, and I think that's probably why they only did Warped Tour the one time. 2006 was the only time they did. And obviously, you know, in retrospect, there are a lot of reasons to have not done Warped Tour yes. uh, a bunch <laughs> of times. Um, but, you know, that's probably why, like what were uh, short of the, you know, maybe they could have done the Barry dates and it would have been awesome. But short of that, you know, what if they were still playing small stages at Warped Tour in the U.S. states, like what's the point? Uh, we're going to talk more about Watch Out. We got to take a break. We'll be back after this. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So I think of sort of in retrospect, one of the most notable songs on Watch Out is not one of the major songs on Watch Out, uh, and that's the song Sidewalk When She Walks, which is notable because it features no George Pettit vocals, and before the band's uh, reunion in this past tour, and I'm not sure if they played in 2015, uh, it was never played live in their first go-round. It's just Dallas Green singing. Obviously, it's much louder and heavier than your typical city and color song, but I do think it is very much emblematic of him and what he wants to do with music. And I mean, the, the sort of conflicts between Alexis on fire, I don't know if conflicts the right word, but divide between Alexis on fire and Dallas green are pretty well documented. When they broke up in 2011, uh, he told NME that he wanted to quit for more than a year and that being in the band was killing him. Off George Pettit saying the split was not amicable, he said, it's the truth, right? They didn't want me to leave the band. They said, why can't you just keep doing what we're doing, go back and forth? Well, that's why I'm leaving, because it's killing me. As much as they saw me always on tour and putting records out back to back to back, I don't think they really understood that I was literally never home. I've had nervous breakdowns. I was in the hospital with pneumonia. I've lain in the bus crying uncontrollably at night. I was running myself ragged, trying to appease my commitments to Lexus on fire, but also trying to appease all the people that were showing interest in city and color. It just got to a point where I had to make a decision, but after 10 years, part of my heart is there with Lexus on fire, but most of my heart is with city and color. And so if you want the first draft, sort of, of city and color, this is that song, Sidewalks, When She Walks.
So right after the, the release of Watch Out, Dallas Green would release the Death of Me EP, which is his first recordings as City and Color. And it's sort of, I mean, City and Color are a whole other episode in and of themselves. Clever name, though. They're pretty big now, also. Yeah. But also, like, I've seen, they headlined, like, Riot Fest in Toronto now. Like, they're, they were, they also became extraordinarily successful. That one's so, so wild to me. And I love it. Like, you know, all of, all of these guys, I mean, again, it's like, I said it's about every band so far, but like, truly like the kindest people that, I, like some of the kindest people I've ever had an opportunity to like interact with, like writing about bands, you know, interviewing bands, like just like Dallas, like all of them is like so, so kind. But I remember like, and this is sort of an example of that when, when he just had like a CDR of the solo stuff and it wasn't, it was just Dallas green. There was no solo like name for it yet. No clever solo name for it. I I have like a burned CDR of someone else's CDR that I found. I was cleaning. It's like Dallas green solo record or solo songs or whatever. But I had a band in like high school and I got Dallas's like hotmail address. And this was at a point where they were playing, you know, I think they were probably playing the opera house, like as, as Alexis sort of tier and emailed him was like, Hey, I have this like sort of like acoustic, in retrospect, very dashboardy kind of band. We're doing our CD release at the cathedral. The Pettit Project played for like another sort of classic 905 throwback. And I was like, hey, do you want to play? I can't really pay you, but I'll like give you a couple of bucks from the door. And he was like, sure. And he came out and played for like 30 people. No mic, because like, I don't know if you guys remember the layout of the cathedral. It's basically just like a big black room, but his voice is so fucking powerful that it just like, the mic was like two feet and he was just singing and playing acoustic. with a couple of friends was super nice i don't think i paid him in the end because he had to like leave early to like get home to st Catharines. <laughs> probably didn't need to watch the, watch the petty project and was just like we didn't we, we weren't friends at that point but he was just like so um like kind and, and giving and, and sort of also i think excited to play those songs live but it's obvious that that's where like a huge amount of his passion even was at that time and obviously continues to be he will always have uh, a place in my heart for a similar act of kindness so he's a huge raptors fan And like he flew back after a show in London to like catch one of the marquee playoff games. Uh, And then they did those two shows at Molson Amphitheater where like the Raptor was on stage. The Raptor came out. Yeah, I was was at one of those. Yeah. Uh, so I couldn't make it, but they released that like their logo mashed up with the Raptors logo. Yes, and he like managed dope. to get one. He like put aside one of those shirts to get to me, and I've never met him. Oh, that's um, so like, nice. I don't know him at all, but like someone called in a favor and was like, "Blake can't make it because of the Raptors stuff." And yeah. Um, the other thing that I want to talk about with, and I know Blake wants to talk about this as well, which is I guess related to this album, but more Alexis on Fire as a band on the whole is the fact that they are very good at writing album openers uh, throughout their four albums. You have 44 caliber love letter. You have accidents, you have drunks, lovers, sinners, and saints, and you have the best one, which is old crows. I also think that we sort of talked about earlier, the sort of very not subtle, but definitely a bit of a shift in sound from the self-titled to watch out 
and the more of the interplay between George and Dallas and how this song really sets the tone for that. That also seems to be on purpose. The band said that most of the songs on their debut were first drafts, whereas Watched Out was rewritten and rewritten and honed on the road. It's told truepunk.com, this isn't taking away from our self-titled, which we love. We were all just in a better place and it worked out. I can sit here and go on about the differences, but you can go buy the album or stream some songs from online, which is a very funny sentence, <laughs> and you will be able to figure it out. Uh, the fans are smarter than a lot of industry gives them credit for. They know what's up. And uh, Accents, as I mentioned earlier, won an MMVA for Best Independent Video. It also received quite a bit of airplay on much music. And it's also just a really kick-ass opener. Yeah, it sure is. And they, like, in general, I would say, like, if I were talking on average or, like, painting with a broad brush, like, I like a snappier opener, and these aren't that. But they do such a good job of, like, mood setting and getting you ready for Alexis on Fire albums that like, I don't know, these like slower kind of rolling builds on the openers. I don't know. I've always thought we talked about this on a bonus episode too, where like we got asked what our like walk up music would be for Mm -hmm. baseball. And I was like, man, it sucks that you only get 10 seconds because like I could pick like half a dozen Alexis songs that like the first 30 seconds would be an amazing build up, but you only get like eight to 10 seconds when you're coming up to the plate. So it doesn't work out as well. I think you're right though. Like I remember, um, I, I mean, I've told the story a lot of times. I just think like, you know, interpersonally, but the, like I said, the idea that there were such expectations for what would happen after that first album and the way that, that as you described it, like the first album is like very much the way every kid writes punk songs, which is like riff, 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 part, 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 like not really considering the notion of a song as a complete entity. And this album, the way that it starts, like, first of all, it's like sort of disorienting. I mean, it sounds like an in flames record off the top and, and that like, boo, do, 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 do. Like, you don't know where you kind of are in, in the song until like the hit comes in and then you have the hats kind of clicking. But up until then, it's just like octave chords, which are of course like the coolest thing that you can do on a guitar. <laughs> and I remember getting, I, I was, I was writing an article about them. And so I got an advanced copy of this and I went to like my friend Malenko's house, who was like the, the guy that like had gotten into the band first in our group of friends. And like, we put it on and I talked to him about this recently. Like he remembers this too. Like we put watch out on and that song started and there was this like first like just a sense of relief like oh my god like it's good they did it it's like this band is concretely fucking great but also just this idea of like this is like for a time if you would ask me like the greatest album opener ever and like maybe i've tempered that opinion but still like i think of those amp shows like i think of seeing the danforth the year before that and like when this song it's not my favorite alexis song but like when those octave chords start the like dueling harmonized i have goosebumps talking about it right now like when that happens live and the fucking hit comes in you're just like rock and roll is amazing like it's so great (laughs) well we could listen to those octave chords because this is what the song accident sounds like
Watch Out was released on June 8th, 2004. It debuted at number six on the Canadian Albums Chart. It would eventually go platinum in Canada. Uh, in 2005, they would win the Best New Artist Juno, beating out Death From Above 1979 and the great forgotten Canadian band The Marble Index, who I will talk about oh. another time because they were so fucking good. Jesse Ingelovich would leave the band in 2005 to spend more time with his family. He was replaced by Jordan Hastings, who was in Jersey, which I didn't know. Generation Genocide is a dope <laughs> song. Stand up for Jersey. Uh, it was pretty well received commercially. It got a 3.5 from All Music, a 7.2 from IGN when they reviewed music, I guess, and a 9 out of 10 from Punk News. Uh, it went gold in two weeks in Canada. In 2006, they released Crisis, which is also platinum in Canada, an album we will probably talk about another time on this show. That was voted the 50th best Canadian album of the 21st century by Kerrang, and we could go on for a long time about it, and we probably will one day. Uh, in 2009, they put out my favorite Alexis on Fire album, Old Crow's Young Cardinals, uh, the Dog's Blood EP that Sam gave a middling review to in Just 2010. The <laughs> <laughs> Just the art. Uh, in 2010, as we said, Dallas Green told the band he was leaving, and they would officially break up in 2011. They reunited in 2015, playing several festivals, including Reading and Leeds, and then finished their tour headlining Riot Fest in Toronto, I believe the final Riot Fest in Toronto, at which Wade McNeil announced on stage that the band had officially reunited. And then in 2019, they released Familiar Drugs, their first new song in nine years, and they have since released the songs Complicit and Season of the Flood. And that pretty much brings us up to date on Alexis on Fire. Uh, two other things to, or no, there's one other thing to mention. Uh, Wade McNeil also scores Dark Side of the Ring, Vice's uh, wrestling documentary series. Uh, and he does a phenomenal job of that. And you can check out the soundtrack for the for that show is I mean, the show's worthwhile, too. But it's also very cool that Wade, uh, who I guess is a wrestling fan, has scored that show. So that's what he's up to. That is very cool. Wade seems like a very cool dude. Coolest voice in the world, too. Yeah, they all seem I mean, Sam yeah. Sutherland himself said they're good dudes. That's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm here to say Sam. while we were talking, I literally um, Josiah, the Hughes, the co-host of Blink-155, messaged me with a sort of uh, scathing, hateful tweet from George Pettit about our podcast. So, yeah, they are <laughs> they are good dudes and continue to roast me on the Internet, which I uh, appreciate. Well, uh, we can we can re-record this whole podcast if you want and talk about how Dallas is the only good singer in the band if you if you'd like. <laughs> Just turns into the fuck George Bennett show. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> Let's do it. I would like to sort of take back all of my earlier opinions, please. <laughs> Talentless hack. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> all right. Uh, so, Jake, you want you wanted. I know we talked about it a little bit earlier on, but you wanted to bring this back to Alexis on Fire's success and kind of yeah. the unique challenges and opportunity of being like a big Canadian, non big American band. Right. Well, I think from my perspective, as someone who was never really that into them and likes them significantly more today than I did when I think pretty much everyone else I know, including you guys, got into this band. Like, they always, they've never made any sense to me. Like, I was at one of those amphitheater shows last year as well, and it was, like, fucking, it was sold out, and it was packed, and, like, they headlined festivals here, and they play Reading and Leeds, and I just, I, when I was researching this yesterday, I was trying to think of, I guess, maybe not in the U.S. so much, but in Canada and in Europe, I was trying to think of another band that sounds anything like this that has that success like it's just so strange to me that a band that like their early stuff is like a stone's throw from like the locust 
And then their later stuff is just like heavy, hardcore screamo, but sells like 15,000 tickets for a show. I just, it, it has always amazed me. And now that I am older and have a more broad sense of music in general, it still amazes me. And like, I, it's not for lack of talent, but I just, it's just amazing to me that a band that sounds like this is so successful. I think this was also like the last era of like for bands. Like I think that you have you know, this happening like a lot now with like artists and other genres, but of like the local band that everyone just sort of glommed onto because they maybe seemed like they were the ones. Like I was talking a bunch about not by choice recently, probably because this is the sort of shit that I talk about. And like, you know, this band that like never really broke, but like when you would go see like, say a Blink-182 show at the amphitheater, everyone on the lawns was wearing a Not By Choice shirt. Cause like that was, that was like the band from this area, you know? And I think like Alexis initially sort of had that kind of groundswell of support, like the same way bands like Monin did, that was like, this is like our version of a thing that we know is kind of happening, happening elsewhere, but it's like a little different. It's, it's, it's more, it's more ours. And and maybe it's just this is what happens when a really good band, kind of regardless of how difficult the, the music is that they make or how sort of like seemingly esoteric their sort of approach to making like big anthemic rock and roll is, that like if you give them a shot and you put them in front of people enough, which is what happened with pulmonary archery and then with water wings, like people are eventually going to find the thing that they like in it. But I agree with you, like being at the amphitheater for those shows, how the fuck do I have this in common with this many people, you know? But in many ways, it's like no different than going to the amp to see like Slayer or Iron Maiden, right? It's just that like what they're doing sort of feels more contemporary and therefore more personal to us having grown up with that sound. But in some ways, I, I, I agree with you. I find it sort of hard to explain. And I don't want to, I don't want to like recenter that discussion on like friends of ours, but like, I feel like the closest thing that I've experienced to that in the last maybe like five years or whatever is like pop between like in the lead up to morbid stuff mm. where like they did the three nights at the Danforth and then they had, you know, coming out of morbid stuff, they had Echo Beach, which was huge for them. And it was like only then that they were starting to do bigger venues in the US. I remember seeing like members of like sports media make jokes that like, I know more people who like pop than like I have followers on, or following on Twitter. Like it was just, they became kind of like Toronto sports Twitter's band. And it's like, obviously it's not the same scale as Alexis on fire, but it's like the closest thing I can no, totally. think of um, from recent times. But I think that's a really good comparison. Cause like pop in that context, that makes more sense to me, not because of like, their musicness, well, I guess because like their style, like they're to me, they're much more uh, pop oriented and accessible. Whereas Alexis is like fucking weird, man. Like for yeah. a band of that success, yeah. like it's weird. The difference is though, Alex Alexis has good guitar work, which Pop doesn't have. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, Alexis doesn't Please. play ska, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. Tell tell Steve that uh, we think ska is good, and we kind of thought Topanga was better. Um, <laughs> ooh, <laughs> but <laughs> but no, I mean, I think like the fact that they so successfully melded what was this like 
burgeoning thing in, in, in kind of hardcore, which was the screaming singing created a window for people. This is why I wanted to talk about the Southern Ontario thing, because like none of these bands like Silverstein or a day to remember, or like other bands that got bigger worldwide exist without grade. And I think that grade get no credit. And then sort of Alexis sort of similarly, weirdly don't somehow, I mean, they get more credit and they probably like enjoy a, a maybe a slightly nicer lifestyle than Kyle Bishop does. I don't know. But there was this, this sort of thing that was happening that happened here. Like we, we are, we, like I'm responsible for it, but sure, I'll take credit. We are responsible for, for this sound that like completely took over Warp Tour and took over alternative press. And it allowed people who might have otherwise, like Jake, like you were saying, you found the screaming kind of alienating to find like their hook into it. And then once you had that, like once there was like a way for you to relate and understand, all of a sudden you were like, Oh, I love these guitar parts. I'm like, pop, you know, I love, I love, you know, this drumming. Although like, I mean, Jesse, Jesse had his struggles as a drummer. You know, I think like the way that sort of Dallas became the window for a lot of people. And then you kind of progressed to the point where they really started to understand how to use all three voices in this like incredible fashion. Um, I think, I think that that is maybe part of it. And that none of these other bands really have like, even if they had one person who was screaming and singing, they were like, compromised somehow, like maybe they weren't as good at one of those things. Whereas like, there's no denying the fact that Dallas Green is like one of the greatest vocalists this country has ever produced. And it's hard to not feel like, feel it in your, in your, in your plums when he starts singing, <laughs> wherever your plums are, your emotional plums, you know? It's funny you say that. Cause like, I remember in high school when I was sort of not like against this band, but like they just weren't for me. I remember saying out loud, like, oh, I'd like it more if they just had Dallas Green's parts, which is funny to me now because I'm not a huge city and color guy. But then mm -hmm. I go see I go see Alexis and then that interplay between all three of them, as you say, it's like it's just so good. But that's why a song like Sidewalks When She Walks is like a, a song for you then. Right. It because was. It's yeah, for Dallas's sure. Vocals. Yeah. Um, speaking of songs for you, Jake, but more songs for Sam. Uh, Sam, at this point in the podcast, we always pick one song from the album we're discussing for the Columbia House Party mixtape, which is kind of the, the living diary of this podcast. Uh, so we have to choose a song off of Watch Out that you feel either either that you like the most or feel best represents a conversation or whatever you want. Um, we can decide together or you can just uh, unilaterally impose it as the guest. Well, listen, I don't want to tell you how to do your job. My suggestion is accidents. I feel like it's the most resonant, anthemic distillation of what made this band so powerful at that moment and what has sort of carried them into the present as like an ongoing sort of relevant concern. I would uh, agree with you. It was when Jake, so Jake and I DM a little bit before each of these episodes and we take turns carrying the research load. And he was like, what do you want to talk about from Watch Out? I'm like, I'm sure whatever will be fine, except we have to talk about accidents uh, because it's such a great opener. So I'm with you as long as Jake has no objections to accidents going on the mixtape. No, I'm fine with that. And uh, I have to say this hour, 10 minute conversation, I think th I think this is the first time on this show now, so 38 episodes, that I feel like I'm a bigger fan of the band we were talking about due to our conversation. And now I want to really go back and like revisit the whole discography, which I don't think has happened yet on this show. So I second accents and I find that very interesting. Well, this is offensive to Third Eye Blind, Jake. This is, I thought that I that episode I sold tried, you on man. Third Eye Blind. I tried. 
You know what? It turns out you you might be on the right side of history on that one, Jake. I don't know if you've seen Stephen Jenkins' recent musings <laughs> on the internet, but uh, no, not oh, great. no, not oh, no. let's just not let's not get into it. It was something that we <laughs> talked about on that episode. Was like he's like by all accounts such a like rampant asshole and has like put his foot in his mouth a bunch, and a lot of industry people don't like him. But also like he had this history of like trolling Republicans, yeah, in, like really in really large ways it's just like man maybe maybe it wasn't he wasn't doing that out of anything other than like he's kind of an edge lord <laughs> like, yeah all right um before we go thank you to all our patreon subscribers and if you are so inclined uh patreon.com slash columbia house party failing that please rate subscribe all that good stuff we also have to thank of course Sam Sutherland. You're welcome. At Sam Sutherland with only some vowels on Twitter. (laughs) Uh, Check out the Blink 155 podcast and everything uh, Sam and Josiah uh, are doing with that. Uh, A lot of great stuff. And like this podcast, it's not like those Blink songs and Blink episodes aren't still there to go back to. Uh, My episode may be not as timely anymore since we do talk about the Raptors in the midst of the NBA finals. Uh, But I'm sure Jake's holds up uh, I f- I extremely feel like well. My, my episode might as well be a different show based on <laughs> yes. what it has become. Yeah, well, yeah I mean, they've gotten such bigger guests since you, right? <laughs> also true. <laughs> no, you were you're you were the the you were both the shining lights. You were the jewels in 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 our crowns in terms of friends of the pod, and I am grateful to you both for uh, giving giving us your time, sort of previously. And thank you for letting me, you know, come on and and uh, yell about. Uh, I think, like you know, one of the one of the most important punk bands in in this country's history. Yeah, man, and I think I. I like obviously you were high on our list of people to bring on anyway, but I wanna I wanna have you back and I wonder if like I wonder if we can do something around some of the more obscure uh Toronto punk acts that we talked about just to kinda like revisit this conversation and talk about like a moaning or something like that. Um but we'll figure that out. Just an episode about the big bop. Just oh, God. There. Be still my beating heart. I would love to <laughs> any time. Anytime. <laughs>